From Ridershed Press and the Abundance Media, this is the Ridershed. Oh, hello everybody, Sam, our uh, Black Doodle is hanging out with me this day in the shed, so say hi to Sam. Uh, she, she wants to know what I'm up to in the shed today. Well, a few things, Sam. Uh, working on uh, shopping a new work of fiction, a newsletter for the Writer Shed Press going out and uh, waiting for the tune-up on my typewriter. Should uh, be getting a call soon. They said it would take about a month or so. I've been uh, I've been uh, writing a haiku every day on that typewriter. Um, been writing just one, and uh, I love the, the the typewriter, but I can't write a full manuscript or anything on a typewriter. So this keeps me kind of loose on my uh, beloved machine, and I really hope to get it back soon. It's part of what uh, some might call my process, right? The haiku is like stretching for me. It keeps my writing muscles loose. Well, writers have little things they do to get their work done. There are as many as there are writers, they say. Well, today on the podcast, the writing process. What do you do to get the story down? Three writers with us today. Ann Terpstra is a Chicago-based author, potter, and photographer. Her debut women's fiction novel is Beyond Any Experience, and it's available now. Floyd Sullivan was the 2018 finalist for Hemingway Foundation of Oak Park, Illinois, finalist whose short fiction has been published in The Writer's Shed, also Hemingway Shorts and Alfred Hitchcock's Mystery Magazine, among other places. He has published three full-length books, including an historical novel titled Called Out. And Christine DeSmet is the author of the Fudge Shop Mystery Series set in Door County, Wisconsin, including a new Christmas mystery coming out in November called Holly Jolly Fudge Folly. <laughs> she also works as a writing coach. So Anne and Christine and Floyd, thank you all for, for coming to the podcast today. We greatly appreciate it. I love when I have a bunch of different writers all together because the dynamic kind of gets really interesting. So it's fun. So what we've been what we've been kind of I don't want to say researching, but kind of just dipping our toes into and maybe even our entire bodies into is you know, what makes a writer tick as far as how they go about their their work. Some people hide away in a shed like where I am right now and get very uh, uh, isolated and that works for them. Other people go into coffee shops where it's noisy and 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 it works for them. And I've done that from time to time. So I'm interested in what all of you do, what works for you what doesn't um and what uh what you know what gives a good end result so i guess the first question would be and you can hop in here any way you'd like why is it that we want to do this in the first place why is it that you're writing why is it i mean we're not becoming millionaires that's number 1 that's for sure certainly not what? fame we're not <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so why is it that you're writing i i write for fun it's uh, enjoyable. I like the process. I like telling stories. It's uh, it's fun for me. So I look forward to it. And when I get started on a project, I, I pretty much keep at it until I can resolve the issues and and fix the plot problems and do all that kind of stuff. It's it, To me, it's fun. So is it, would you say, Floyd, it's kind of like a, a puzzle that you're putting together? All the pieces are everywhere and you're trying to figure out the best way to, to, to come up with this picture? You know, this not exactly. I think I get an idea. Um, of, it can be a very vague idea. It can be a very precise idea. And then I just pursue it. Um, I don't do an outline. I just I just write and let the uh, problems present themselves and solve them as I go. And then 
uh, go back uh, scene by scene and uh, figure out what's wrong with each scene where it stumbles, where I right. stumbled, and but then you, uh, and try to fix those. But you definitely, you know, your beginning process, your 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 initiative is the fun of it, right? Is that true for you, yes. and Christine and Anne? Is that is it just like you could can't? You know, it's like riding an amusement park ride. You know, you want to go out there and have some fun. Yeah. And for me, it's a lot like painting. And when you go through the layers of a watercolor painting and it keeps getting better and better, but different in every wash, Mm. every layer. And that's so exciting and so fun. And Mm. that's what I like about it. So when I start a story or a novel, I do research first and I love just reaching out everywhere for any kind of fact I can find about the topic I'm interested in. And it leads me to all kinds of strange places. I get to a good excuse to get out of the house, go to the library and look at physical books. Yeah. But, you know, it, I do everything that way. It's just like this exploration that is so much fun. Yeah. I think the exploration thing is, is, uh, is true for a lot of us. Keep that research thing in your head though. Cause I want to know what that means for everybody. And what is, what is this for you? Why do you do this? Why do you write? Um, I've always been a really creative person. I just enjoy the creative process in a lot of arenas. Um, this is one of them. Um, so, I mean, yes, enjoyment, of course. Another reason is, as a queer woman, that I just don't see myself in books. So some of the reason mm. that I write is because I want to find myself, or not literally myself, but something that represents my experience more often in books. And although that's changing, it's definitely been a slow process. So even back when I started my first book, you know, seven years ago, the publishing industry for queer authors was very different even than now. Yeah, um, sure. I think if you talk to a lot of queer authors or marginalized authors, you'll get that response sometimes because we just we want to see more books with uh, people or faces or places that we recognize and can relate to in a way that we haven't in the past. Yeah, that's a good point. I know either there's two things that come to mind when I when I hear you say that. One is people who have said, you know, write the book that you want to read, um, right? The, write that book that you want to read. And then the second one is, you know, to, to I, I don't know, I think Joan Didion, to paraphrase her somehow, she said, um, you know, I don't really know what I'm writing, really what I'm trying to say until I start to write it. Yeah. Like, I don't even know what I'm, I'm trying to do until I start to put words on paper. Um, and, and that's kind of, kind of like an awakening almost, right? So let me talk about the the research aspect that Christine brought up here because that means a lot of things to different people. Christine, you say you when you begin your process, you do research first before you do any words on the paper. Would that be yeah, true? Or definitely, I do research first because that brings up the questions I want to ask in my various scenes and chapters. Because I I re- do research as the character. I pretend I'm that character already, and then I go and think about what would that character do? What do I need to know to do my job as that character? Yeah. So that leads me into a certain type of research. I'm working on a book now, a new idea about a, a woman plumber. And so I went and visited the library to get all the exams that plumbers have to take. Wow. And yeah. wow, <laughs> I'm not sure I want to be a plumber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's. That's hard research. That's like really traditional sort of research you're doing there. Definitely. So what about what about Floyd and Anne? What, what what do you consider research if you do it or don't do it? And, and if you do, what, what is it that, it that that means to you? Well, for my historical novel uh, called out, that required a significant amount of research, but it was a lot of fun. I, I went to um, 
a lot of libraries in several cities because it was uh, base, uh, Major League Baseball was the setting. And it involved going to Pittsburgh, a lot of time in New York and uh, Chicago Historical Society or History Museum, their library. Uh, that was a lot of fun. It reminded me of um, college days. We, we had to spend a lot, uh, you know, a lot of time in the library researching this or that. So that was very, very uh, pleasing as as well as the writing of it. But but the research definitely uh, led me in directions I did not uh, anticipate at all. So that part of it was extremely, um, extremely fun in and of itself. As I learned about the protagonist of my book, it was, uh, the book was based on a real guy. And as I learned about him, uh, I, you know, I would just be amazed by uh, the new details that that would be uncovered. Well, I think historical fiction kind of lends itself to that process, though, right? Yeah, I mean, you, ha you have to do it, yeah. Yeah, there's no way around that. How about you, Anne? Um, I write contemporary women's fiction um, right now. I mean, historical fiction will be a whole other bag of research, but I tend to start with character. And so, it's, uh, like, if you're familiar with theater, there's the proscenium sets that are huge, you know, wide scope, and then what I call black box and that's more intimate and very much only a few actors on stage, usually less complicated. Yeah. And that's where I go initially in my process. So research, if I need it for certain things, tends to come kind of in the middle because I might know what they do or whatever, but the job may not be central to the story in the same way. And so it's something I kind of layer over the top. I need to spend some time with the characters and how they interrelate and the interpersonal aspect before I'm ready to kind of layer on research for more external forces, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, no, that does. I, and for me, it's at least in the fiction that I've written, it's always started out with an idea from something I already know, like not maybe not intimately completely, but at least know enough to get started. And then the characters start to come to life. And then I start going, oh, gee, I better research that church in that city because i really don't know what that church is and then i'll then i'll go so it's almost as if the the little germs of the of the things i need to pay attention with kind of start to grow as i'm writing and then i go up oh, i make a note to myself i need to do more research about that town or or, the, or or when that train actually does leave that station so i get that right the little things like that um Kind of come it up in process. Yeah. And it gets frustrating too, because you might be three fourths of the way through your novel and you realize you don't know the right stuff to finish the novel. You yeah. don't know about yeah. the character or whatever. Well, even, even in memoir too, like I, um, my first book, Accidental Lessons, had, had to do with teaching and the, the, uh, I wanted to get the room numbers right. <laughs> Now, in reality, for the reader, it's really not going to matter, right? I mean, in the end, it doesn't matter if it's a red dress or a blue dress, if it's, you know, not that big to the character. But I was determined I needed to get the room numbers right. That was very important to me. So I needed to call the school. I needed to go find, you know, do I need to go through the whole process to remember to get those room numbers exactly right. So it was you know, did it really matter to the story so much? Not necessarily. They could have been any number and it would have just been fine. But for my own, you know, what I needed, what I needed was to get those room numbers right. So it took me like, like three days, you know, to go through the right people and to get somebody to check and get back to me. And, and all it was, was a room number, you know, but I, I really wanted that badly. So it's weird. So research. Okay. I get that. So that implies to some extent, if you do some research, that there's an outline of some kind or a, uh, you know, a sort of like roadmap 
to where you're going. Do you all work like that? For me, it wouldn't be an outline at all. It would be a setting. So I found it um, interesting, Christine, that you're uh, researching plumbing because I'm finishing a novella that's about pipe fitters. So uh, very, 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 yeah, really very similar disciplines. The thing is, though, that I understood the setting of uh, the world of pipe fitting because I did it as a young man. Um, that was a summer job was pipe fitting and digging ditches and things. So I knew that that was going to be the setting. And what the research gave me was um, accuracy. Uh, so I got the details right. For instance, there's a line of pipe wrenches called rigid. And when I first typed it out, I typed it R-I-G-I-D. And I thought, no, I don't think that's right. So, you know, I have to look it up and get the correct spelling of this brand of, of pipe wrench. Right. That, yeah. that kind of thing. But the setting is... Uh, is usually in my mind when I start. I, I've done a lot of commercial photography, and uh, so the the world of commercial studios and uh, you know cameras and lenses and all that are is something that I, I'm familiar with. So, but I need to get the details right. Did I spell Hasselblad right? You know, things like yeah, that. Sure. Yeah. But but you don't have a formal outline. Is that what you're saying? No, no, I never do. Yeah. I, in my um, I write a lot of mysteries in, uh, in my uh, mysteries. I uh, have a setting, a, a specific setting in mind, and I place the characters in that setting. I try to get the details of the setting right, and then I go from there. And I have an idea of what the story is, how it's going to go, how it's going to end, sure. and then I just have to let it develop. Okay. Well, what about you, Anne? Do you, uh, are you an outliner, like a hardcore no, I'm not. I'm actually, I can't imagine writing a mystery without one. That seems really intimidating, actually. But um, the, again, with mine, because it's so character driven, I do have an, I would say I have an arc. Like I know where it's starting roughly. Sometimes that changes. Um, and I know how it want, I want it to end. And, but my process of writing kind of lets me explore some of those middle sections um, without an outline. What sometimes I'll do once I get a first draft done is sort of break the scenes out and lay them out visually. So then I can say like, okay, where have I put some gaps? Where are some of the POVs suffering and I need to reorder? So there is some of that structural work done, but usually for me, at least so far, it's been after the first draft process. I, I need that fluidity to kind of let the characters go where they're going to go. Yeah. Um, again, with, you know, women's fiction, at least what I've been writing so far, you know, the plot is important, but it's not the driving force. It's more character based. So that I think gives me a little flexibility that way. Yeah, I, I understand that. I, I've never written an outline for anything I've ever done. I've When I start something, it's from an idea and a setting. And then the story kind of comes to me. It, it, I don't I don't sit there and go, oh, it needs to go here. There's only one book, though, one fiction book that I've ever written that I knew what the ending was going to be. I knew I could see the scene play by play in my head of how it was going to end. I just had to figure out how the hell to get there, you know? So Christine, what about you? Are you an outliner? I get the sense you are. Uh, uh, kind of an in-between because I'm a mystery writer and my books are set in Door County, Wisconsin, but I also come from the screenwriting world. I'm a screenwriter and have optioned screenplays in the past. And we work from a central question first. And that always starts with the word will. Will your character accomplish X by the end? So I always write that out first, and that's my guiding force for the entire novel. And it works very well. And from there, I look at the plot points, the five major plot points you find in a screenplay. I use that for the novels. Um, I don't do extensive outlines. I find that confining. And I have to say this 
plotter versus pantsers thing that some writers get into. I don't believe in that because you have to plot a little bit now and then, or you have to go by the seat of your creative pants now and then. There's no one thing that a writer is. Mm. Speaking of screenplay writing, I've done a little bit of that myself and and, uh, for my stories, in particular, the one I just am finishing now, uh, I I tried to follow the three act structure. uh, And I was told or taught that uh, a a movie has three acts, um, two hours, long. Uh, the first act is 30 minutes, second act is 60 minutes, last act is 30 minutes, roughly. So I, tr- I try to mentally structure my stories around that kind of thing. Mm. And uh, what I did do in this last one, I have to admit, is um, I knew it was going to be a novella. And uh, so what I did was I read several Rex Stout, Nero Wolf novellas. He was a master of writing the uh, short form mystery novella. 20,000 words-ish, mm-hmm. and uh, I actually wrote down where the plot turns happened, at what word, at what word count. Mm. You know, the first, the first act ended at X number of words, then act two was much longer and went for X number of words, and then the last act was, you know, X number of words as well, and as I wrote, I, you know, I watched the little word count thing at the bottom of the uh, word processing software, and made sure that I was roughly in that neighborhood. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's a lot more like focused <laughs> than I am. Um, yeah, I could see why you would do that, though. It makes tons of sense to me, especially uh, with writing mystery. I think too. Yeah, the pacing pacing is important, so um, that helped uh, with the pacing quite a bit. I hope. Ooh. So what, um, I'm just going to say plot or character, what's the thing that drives your stuff the most? Definitely character for me, a hundred percent. Yeah. Character for me too, because they have to want something and want it bad enough that they'll do something good or bad. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's half and half for me. I think the plot has to move along and be like I was saying, structured in a certain way. And the, you have to have some hooks here and there. And, but, uh, but the reader definitely has to identify with the characters and, and they have to be, um, they can't be uh, two dimensional if possible. I mean, some of the peripheral characters perhaps can be recognizable uh, stereotypes, but your main characters need to be, you know, fully drawn personalities. Yeah. A character is always really, I think really important to me too. Um, you know, I, I, I think in terms of like a lot of the auto fiction uh, that's out there now, uh, it really doesn't have a plot to it. I mean, I read Carl of Knoskart's, you know, 30, 300,000 word. And, and it was fascinating to me. It really was fascinating, but there's no plot. I mean, there's no plot whatsoever. <laughs> you know, and, and I also think of the the great movie Boyhood, if you remember this from about five, six years ago that won the Academy Award. There's no plot in that shit, in that movie, period. It, it isn't. It's just a narrative. It's like the boy grows up, period. It's done. Um, so I, I find that, but the character is very strong in that. The character of the boy and the character of the father, particularly, are extremely strong and they drive the whole thing. And there's no plot in that, in that narrative whatsoever. Um, but as we all know, something has to change, right? Something has to affect that person. There has to be, you know, resolution or reflection or uh, a revelation of some kind. Something has to change and shift somewhere along the line um, for any of this to work, I guess. Um, But in terms of, 
your process in terms of physically where you write and how you write, you know, do you write longhand? Do you write on a, uh, a iPad? Do you write on an old Smith and Wesson? Smith and Wesson. That would be a gun, wouldn't it? Uh, Smith Corona. <laughs> Too much talk about mysteries. Uh, well, yeah, I was going to say that would be a very interesting story right now if you were writing on a Smith and Wesson. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, what, what what about the physical process? You know, where you write, how, that kind of thing. Help me out with a little bit of that. Um, I mean, I have an office that I can write in. Um, I homeschool our teenage son and I have for the last 10 years. So a lot of my writing actually happens um, either longhand, like place to place kind of thing. Or um, then when I graduated to a laptop, um, I use that now as well. So I find that kind of helpful, actually, sometimes, because if I try to write in the same space in the same way every day, it can get a little like restrictive so like when you talked about going to the coffee shop or whatever sometimes I find a change of scenery when you're writing can be a nice way to kind of jog yourself out of a rut or if you're sort of stuck in a spot um so I do do some office writing but I also kind of write all over and sometimes in short chunks because that's what's available to me with my son's schedule mm -hmm. um so I have a little bit of variety that way I guess but you're writing longhand sometimes my the novel that came out uh, at the end of May, yeah, I did. I didn't have a laptop at the time. I only had a desktop, and um, he was, uh, you know, back and forth so much that I actually wrote the whole first draft longhand. Mm. Um, I have terrible handwriting, so it was quite a process getting it back into a on a computer. <laughs> no, nobody else could type that for you except you because nobody else could read it, right? And I've seen other people say that they actually they when they're stuck if they start writing longhand again, it's helpful because mm. it feels a little more freeing and you can't like go back and fix your typos and edit and all that. And I do think there's a piece of that that's kind of helpful. Um, so people kind of looking to change up their practice if they're able to write longhand. Um, I can find that kind of useful sometimes in a weird way. I wouldn't want to do it forever, but it's it's yeah. not bad sometimes. My hand hurts when I write long. I, can, I just can't do it. Uh, Christine, what about you? I am kind of the opposite of Anne. I am a typist from way back. I'm a journalism graduate and my life has been on the typewriter and I type really fast. And I think while I type, my fingers, I think, are thinking for me. And I love to be at my computer. I might be somewhere else and I'll make some short notes on a piece of paper, but I can hold it in my brain usually. And I can't wait to get home or to the computer keyboard. And that's what I do. It just flies. I, I love that feeling of just letting the fingers fly and that story pours out. Yeah. And so you mentioned typewriter. Have you written full manuscripts on a typewriter? No, I haven't. But I I love my old typewriter from college. It's, it's here in the house. Mm -hmm. um, and I love the sound of a typewriter. Um, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm on the computer keyboard. Yeah, I love, I, love, I love the sound of a typewriter too. I write a haiku every day. It's like my exercise. It's like getting up and stretching, and whether they're good or not is another matter. But I, but I do it on a typewriter because I want that visceral sort of physical feel to it. But I can't write a full manuscript on a typewriter. I lose my mind. Floyd? Yeah, uh, yeah, I did write a full manuscript on a typewriter uh, before word, before word processing. Yeah, and uh, it was I found it incredibly limiting because if you're proofreading and there's a mistake or you want to change like three sentences on a page to get your pagination straight, you have to you you know you have to bend over backwards and do all sorts of calisthenics just to get the pagination right in 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 some kind of a form so it won't so you can submit it to an agent or whatever. Yeah, you, you know, and and that. 
that to me, you, all of a sudden you're making decisions based on where your page ends and where the next one begins. And can I shorten the sentence so they'll fit? You know, and that's that's a little bit limiting. So it's uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, word processing and, and computers are a godsend. They are so great because, you know, you just put in that page break thing and you can do whatever wrap you want to and it all stays in place. It's, it's just great. Yeah, I know. I, I'm, I'm thinking about... Um putting together a book about writing that I have a bunch of pieces that I've written for other places all over that I thought would be, if I could pull them together, be a cool little, uh, maybe 40,000 word kind of book on writing and, you know, doing it with a laptop, I can just grab the, those, the, you know, that text and move it and keep it in a file and say, okay, when I get to really wanting to write this, it's all right in front of me. I can't imagine you know, taking pieces of paper from a typewriter and putting them in a big pile and then going back and going, okay, where the, where the hell do I go now? That would just, I mean, people did it for centuries, I know, but I don't know how, I don't know how you do that now. I would just lose yeah, my mind. It'd be something like going back to horse-drawn carriages after driving a car all your life. Yeah, yeah, it would be really difficult. Yeah. So as far as the place that you write, though, Floyd, where do you, do you write at home? Do you write at an office? Where well, do you? Yeah, I'm retired, so mostly at home. Um, I have a home office, but I like my couch better. And, you know, it depends on, it depends on circumstances. Uh, the first book I published, the publisher came back to me and said, uh, it's too short. We need like 15 or 20,000 more words. And it's like, oh, okay. So I took a legal pad and uh, went to the lakefront, went to Montrose Harbor and sat there and, and wrote that part of the book there. I mean, it, mm -hmm. circumstances said, well, let's go out to the lake. It's a nice day. So I'll write there. So that's that. It, it doesn't matter to me a whole lot where I am. Uh, minimal distractions, preferably. But other than that, I can write with it, uh, you know, with a legal pad or a, a laptop. It, it, it doesn't really matter that much to me. And it doesn't matter if I'm in my in our office or on the couch or on a trip somewhere. It, it's all the same, pretty much. Yeah, I, I like going between. I have this little shed on my property. What obviously the name of the podcast, uh, and it. You know, I work in there. I'm we're in here now, um, but I occasionally will go to a coffee shop because I need, as Ann mentioned, I need a little bit of the din. I need a little interaction. I need to hear a conversation that might strike a good dialogue. You know, something. I need something else. Um, not a lot, but I tend to do that. The very first book, though, Axiom Lessons, I wrote completely in Panera. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, I went to Panera in the early morning for about two hours every day, and I knocked out two hours of work, and I did in Panera the almost the entire thing. I would think probably some drafts later on were done elsewhere, but the general, you know, the the, the first draft was all in Panera. Yeah, so uh, similar. Um, I used to work in the Merchandise Mart, and uh, at lunch I would go down to a buyer's lounge. Mm. On, the 14, on the 14th floor yeah. and and write longhand. And that's how a good chunk of that book got written. So um, we're getting down to the last few minutes here, but I, I, I want to see if you'll impart some knowledge. If somebody who's beginning to write um, and really wants to try to do this, you know, all of us have been involved with workshops or maybe even run workshops, that kind of thing. What do you tell them about process? What do you think, what, what do you, what do you offer them? to help them find the, the right footing to move forward? Or what have you been told that has been helpful? Well, I, 
I've been a teacher of writing as well for several years at the University of Wisconsin. And one of the things that's always worked for the people I've taught is learning how to write a scene. The scene is the basic unit of novels. And once you learn how to write a scene, which can be two lines or two pages or whatever, once you learn what a scene is, it opens up the whole world of novel writing to you. Yeah, I would agree with you. Scene is everything. And and memoir, too. I mean, people want to write. I was born in 1952 and they want to start like that. And the reality is, no, you need to talk about that Christmas where everything went to hell and give me that scene. You know, let's start there. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's great advice. Anybody else? Um, I think one thing I've learned is that a lot of people, um, there's a lot of advice and you can get sort of advice <laughs> fatigue sometimes. Yeah. True. And there's a lot of great suggestions and you, you know, you might pull this from this author or this from this author, but there's also a lot of people who are like, you must do this. You must write at 5 a.m. every day and you must not deviate from that schedule, you know, and some people's lives don't support that, you know, or like, I don't want to be up at 5 a.m. I just don't. So it's my best advice in some ways is to just keep sampling advice. And then if you find something that works for you, do that. And don't worry if it's sort of not part of the, you know, writerly advice or whatever if you're getting it done while like your kids in the shower for 20 minutes and then you're having to do 20 minutes here that's just as valid as having time to you know sit for four hours uninterrupted in an office um but i and kind of tying into that i think it's really interesting to read advice from other writers not in your genre because yeah. it it pushes you a little like i'm not a mystery writer but i've learned some really interesting things you know listening to mystery writers talk or you know, working in different historical fiction or even nonfiction. Um, if you kind of keep your lens wide in terms of taking in advice, you can then sort of pick from that what you find most useful. Yeah, I've made the suggestion to many people in workshops to read poetry. Even if you're yeah. not familiar or it's adverse to you somehow or whatever, uh, just the language helps you think mm -hmm. about things differently. Yeah. Floyd, how about how about you? Um, I, I don't get asked that question too often. One time, I, I was approached by somebody whose husband was uh, writing a novel, and uh, she said that well, he doesn't really care too much about you know typos and things like that. He figures the uh, the editors will fix all that stuff for him. And I just said <laughs> they won't. E I said they won't even read it. You got to present your best manuscript. Make sure that if they ask for one-inch margins, you have one-inch margins. If they ask for Times New Roman, don't send it in courier. You know, things like that. Just pay attention to the craft of it as much as the inspiration behind it. Right. And, the, and the craft includes making it as clean a manuscript as you can. And that's, that's actually um, what I like to call a character building part of it. You know, to get in there, make sure you, you don't, you well, I've never seen anything that doesn't have typos, but minimize your typos as much as humanly possible and make sure it's clean. Make sure you have quotes in the right places and, you know, and the right kinds of quotes. So be consistent. Consistency is very important. And I yeah. told her, I said, you, you tell your husband that unless he presents the best possible manuscript he can, he doesn't have a prayer of even getting read, much less uh, bought. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I'm I'm a big believer in that, you know, art is is breaking the rules, but business and publishing is staying within them. So right. yeah, because they're not even gonna pay attention to what you're doing if you're not fitting into their genre. 
or their 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 list of these are the five things we need when you send us you know a submission and you miss one of those five uh there's a whole stack of other ones they're going to read and not bother with you so a last imparting knowledge is there something you would offer to any budding writer out there or anyone who's struggling maybe who's writing and you know done really well but needs a change and needs some little kick in the pants anything like that you could offer well i would suggest they do just what you're doing is listen to good podcasts about writing you know get on youtube uh find a group locally but find somebody you can talk to and and talk with about writing because that helps a lot you keep each other going yeah, I think that's a really good advice to and and to read. I tell people all the time, are you reading a lot? You yeah. read as much as you're writing, read more than that. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Fiction yeah. workshops I think are great where you you know, you have half a dozen or more people in the same room and each person takes a turn at uh, submitting something and then you hash it out because you get six opinions, you know, immediately. And you also can kind of gauge if whether or not what you're writing is working. If um, people are merely polite, maybe uh, the inspiration isn't so strong. But if the, somebody says, wow, this is, you know, this got me, but, you know, then then you you there's a good chance you're on the right track. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Feedback is always uh, a good thing. And that immediate feedback, I think, is what's most important. Right. And you can usually tell when it's polite <laughs> you know, or or sincere. So yeah, if yeah that's very true. All right. Uh, uh, I Anne? think it's good to have a, yeah, I think it's good to have a secondary creative hobby. Actually, it would be my advice because I'm a potter as well as a writer. And there was a time when my son was born where I just wasn't writing. I, I couldn't do it. I didn't have the energy for it. It just wasn't happening. And I took up pottery because I'd always had an interest in it. Um, and now I do both, but it's a really, if you're feeling stressed about not being creative in your writing, sometimes just going and being creative, particularly if it's hands-on, like very different from writing, you still feel like you're using that creative energy, but it takes a little of the pressure off of like, I'm not writing, I'm not doing anything. You know, give yourself an outlet, even if it's going well, like having a break and doing something with your hands, I think is really beneficial um, for any writer if, if they have that interest at least or that ability. I agree. Uh, I think mu music, music is great. Because music. music has a rhythm. Yeah. And uh, so sometimes you can um, apply some of that rhythmic sense to your writing. So music is good. I play guitar. I like to do that. I, I also take pictures like you, Anne. You, you have some beautiful pictures that I've seen. Um, those are two disciplines that are quite different from writing or crafts or, or arts or whatever you want to call it. And and as you were saying, you, you have you know, you're using your hands, you're using your eyes, you're editing a picture by cropping or burning in or dodging or whatever. And in music, um, you try not to stumble too much, I guess, but in, you know, but you're, it's a different, they're all different disciplines and it's good to get, get some uh, time in on those other things. And I think it's also good to, to, to remind people that they don't have to be great at it either. It's just the doing. Yeah. It's just the doing of the creative process. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to be, you know, playing it Madison Square Garden. It's it's that's not important. All of you, thank you so much. This has been great insight from all of you. You all uh, have wonderful things to say about the process and the you know the art of writing. And again, thanks. It's uh, great to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. All of our authors and Terpstra, Floyd Sullivan, and Christine D. Smith are all easy to find and to follow. Google their names. Read their work. 
This has been another episode of The Writer Shed. I'm David W. Berner. Production and interviews for The Writer Shed are always produced inside the shed. You can find out more about Writer Shed Press at writershedpress.com and at The Writer Shed on Medium. You can also sign up for our newsletter there and find us at Writer Shed Press on Twitter. All the episodes of The Writer Shed are available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.